Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Tom Bernard Show with Andy Brant Bernard, Cassie Schrader. And we'll be right back with special guests, a couple of special guests this hour, as a matter of fact, Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to Walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. We are back. Hour three of Tom Bernard Show. Do you think that these people like D.B. Cooper, because there have been many of them, it's not enough to get away with it. They have to shove it down your throat that they got away with it, and then they never get away with it. Yeah, I don't know, because there was, like, um, talks that the only reason why he did it, just to see if he could do it. Mm-hmm. That was the whole purpose. I mean, there was really no, I mean, I heard that there was, like, some type of, like, 
the reason why he needed the money was for medical reasons. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. been so many theories floated around, but basically it was just he could get away with it. I guess. Rebecca's with us. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Johnson reprising her role as Dawn. Hi. What, how are you today, Rebecca? I'm great. I'm glad to hear. How are you guys? We're doing extremely well, as a matter of fact. It's a, it's a hot summer day in Minneapolis-St. Paul, and it's wonderful. We like it. Where oh, did, good. <laughs> where'd, you, where'd you grow up? I grew up in New York. I grew up in, oh, okay. in Staten Island, New York, and I live in Los Angeles now, so I appreciate the nearly 75 degrees beautiful weather every day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so get out do you know why the, the what the reason was for me asking you where you grew up? Why? Because you're the only Johnson that wasn't born in Minnesota. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> Johnson's a big-time Minnesota name. It's big time. So you, you probably trace it back somewhere. I'll have to ask my parents. Maybe maybe they lied to me and oh, uh, yeah, wanted maybe. me to think I was born in Staten Island, but maybe I was really born in Minnesota. We don't know. That's possibly. <laughs> Rebecca Johnson reprising a role as Dawn, one part of the wrestling duo Edna and Ethel Rosenblatt, the beat-down biddies and lover of all things glitter and spandex on the hit Netflix series Glow. As a matter of fact, we have a, uh, a Hollywood reporter. She's out there in Los Angeles with you, as a matter of fact. Her name is Kristen Burt, and she is a huge Glow fan. Huge. Yay. That's awesome. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? So tell us about Glow. How'd you get involved? Uh, it's a hit. It's a big hit on Netflix, which is always wonderful to hear. Well, I have been doing comedy for uh, many years, and my comedy partner, Kimmy Gatewood, and I, uh, they reached out to us to audition to play a comedy duo on GLOW. And we've been performing together for 10 years with our group called the Apple Sisters. So we went in. We showed them five tag team duos. I did a jump split. She did a pratfall, and they gave us the job. You <laughs> so did a jump split? We worked for it. God, yeah. yeah. You jump in the air, and you land in a split. <laughs> How, isn't that, that could be probably painful if you did it wrong, I would assume. Yeah, you know, it's it's the least painful I ha- thing I had to do on the show. Because I've been, when I was young, I was a <laughs> dancer, and I did a little bit of gymnastics. <laughs> And so I, I was able to, that was a trick that I've been able to do for, you know, since I was like five years old. So I, I even did a jump split eight months pregnant once in a show. So You did? That's that old hat for me. Yeah. God, I guess so. It's unbelievable. Now, were you a wrestling fan before the gorgeous ladies of wrestling? I actually watched Glow when I was a kid. Oh, and okay, good. loved it. And... I would also watch, you know, uh, wrestling when it was on, but I wasn't obsessed with it. And mm-hmm. then, and I kind of wrote it off. I think a lot of people write it off. You know, you're either a fan or you're like, what? Wrestling? And have bad ideas about it. But ever since I've been doing Glow, I've honestly gotten really into it. And now I watch it so much that, like, we went to SmackDown this week <laughs> and did, did a That's bit. Good. And I met yeah. all these wrestlers and I was, like, so nervous. <laughs> I get both stars for wrestlers now. Well, that's a good thing. I uh, because Glow takes place in the 1980s. I have to tell you that a lot of wrestlers, professional wrestlers in that era, came out of Minnesota, most specifically Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Uh, so I hmm. I used to lift weights and work out with professional wrestlers for about 15 years, and to be around those guys, it was unbelievable because. 
you want to talk about bombastic and overstated. They were great guys. I got along with every one of them. But everything was way over the top. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they don't have to just be, you know, one big muscle. They have to be charismatic. They have to be able to perform in front of thousands of fans while getting punched in the face. <laughs> well, no. So they're pretty incredible. I love wrestlers. <laughs> I love well, wow, that's not always a good thing to get punched in the face. No, it's not. Um, yeah, I, I, I used to hang out with the Road Warriors, uh, Animal and Hawk. Hawkster no longer with us, oh, unfortunately. Cool. That's what I noticed, Rebecca, as a matter of fact. A lot, of, a lot of the guys that I grew up with and the guys who went into professional wrestling, a lot of them are no longer with us. That's too bad. Really sad. Yeah. I know there. It really is sad. Um, our wrestling coach, Chavo Guerrero, he used to wrestle with his cousin, and they were a tag team duo. And his cousin had passed away, and you know, it's just really sad. It seems like there's a lot of wrestlers that end up either having health issues or addiction problems, and um, you know, I don't know if statistically if it's that much more than the rest of the population, but. We know so much more about them because they're public figures. So yeah, it's true. It's definitely sad when you hear of that about that. We have to give the really important information to our audience. Rebecca was nominated for a 2018 SAG Award with her co-stars for outstanding performance by an ensemble in a comedy series for the first season of the show. Well, congratulations on that. That's terrific. Thank you. Was- yeah, that was really exciting. It was like, I don't know. It's so cool that no matter what, even even though we didn't win. Like, it was just so cool to have a nomination, and that, I don't know, they can't ever take that away from me. No, <laughs> and, you know, and that's exactly why I brought it up, Rebecca, because they can never take it away from me. You were nominated for an award, and uh, it, it, that's a great feeling, isn't it? You're, you're possibly winning a SAG, but being nominated for a SAG for your work is a great thing. Yeah, and I feel like it's such an ensemble show. Like, we work so hard together we all learned how to wrestle together we spent so much time together in the ring and out of the ring and watching each other wrestle and supporting each other so it felt like such an amazing uh way to celebrate that like to get that nomination and being an actor for a really long time i've often voted for the sag award so it was really surreal to be able to vote for myself (laughs) Well, I, I will tell you that I did vote for you because I, I vote on the SAG Awards every year, so you got to vote for me. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> no, I did. Because I, 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 I did... Uh, That's so vo- nice. Thank I did, you. Well, yeah, no problem. I did voiceover for about 30 <laughs> years, so it was. I, I still vote on all the SAG stuff, which is great. It's wonderful stuff. Now, I do have to ask you, Rebecca, of yeah. course, we're going to talk some about Glow Season 2, but I want to first find out because I've been promised you would fill us in on the progress of your side mullet. <laughs> My side mullet? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's great. You're like, I want business on one side and party on the other side. Oh, and so God. you're kind of ready for anything when you have a side mullet. Um, but <laughs> we stopped shooting in January. So uh, right now I have bangs Ooh. and like a French bob. So I look very different in person. And I'm not sure how they're going to get it back to mullet state uh, if we have a season three, but I think I'm going to let them figure that out, and I'm going to try to maintain a haircut that I like between seasons. You don't like the side mullet, huh? I mean, it's fine. And, you know, some people can rock it. 
Um, a specifically 80s side mullet is a little bit harder than, I think, the hipster side mullet that I see, yeah. you know, all over Los Angeles. But I, I just get tired of it. But I know it's coming back. So, you know, it's like you have to let something go in order uh, to appreciate it when it comes back. So that's what I'm doing with my side mullet. I did love it when guys used to wear mullets and they referred to it as business in the front and party in the back. <laughs> I know. That's what I said. Business on the side, party on the other. Yeah, a lot of aquanet and backcombing. Yeah, that'll do that's it. That's what you need. Oh, yeah. That'll do it. So you, you've completely <laughs> finished uh, shooting Glow Season 2 then. Yeah, we finished shooting season two, and then and that's what um, that's what's on Netflix. And then it, we will find out if we get picked up for season three, and then hopefully get back in the ring and shoot that. Well, I mean, it's a it's a big hit on Netflix, so I assume there's a great chance you'll get picked up for season three. I would think. I hope so. <laughs> is it a ball to shoot? Is it a lot of fun? I mean, no, it's a lot of work. I do know you work very, very hard on it, but is it a lot of fun as well? It's so much fun. And honestly, like, I've done so many different types of jobs, like non-acting jobs, direct. I've done things, many things in Hollywood and outside of Hollywood. And being an actor is the easiest job in the world, truthfully. Yeah. <laughs> and wrestling, yes, it's hard, but it is so fun and it's so rewarding and just hanging out with the girls. Like, I love them so much. We all talk to each other all the time. We have a text chain. We hang out all the time. They're, like, now part of my family, like, no matter what, you know? And so just getting to hang out with, like, amazing people and mess around in crazy spandex costumes and wild hair, it's, it's really a dream come true, especially for me who started in sketch comedy. And right. it's sort of like the culmination of that. Have you ever have you ever gone on tour in comedy like all across the country? I have. I have done it on like small tours. So my group, the Apple Sisters, we did a bunch of festivals all over the country, and then I had another comedy group where we went in different cities, and we even went to Edinburgh. And oh, you um, did, yeah, that's great. But, uh, great festival. Fun. I mean, it's definitely fun. I, I'm not a road comic, but I have done yeah. in multiple cities, and it's it's a fun thing to do. You should appear at the State Fair with that. That would be a good idea. Minnesota State Fair. <laughs> that would be a good idea. Is it really? I feel like my 1940s group would go over well there. Oh, I'm telling you what, have flat out. fried Oreos and sing some three-part <laughs> There you go, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's the largest. They say Texas has a bigger State Fair, but the only reason they consider it to be bigger is it goes on for like twice as long as our State Fair, so therefore they get more people. Uh. But more... The most people per day go to the Minnesota State Fair. It's a huge fair. It'd be good for you. Awesome. No question. They're just about saying it. Texas is the largest state fair because they're just talking about how high the hair is there. But your <laughs> fair, I believe, is the <laughs> nah, it's a possibility. There, there is a possibility there. But yeah, it's. Uh, do you get Do you get recognized on the street all the time now? You know, I don't get recognized that often. I, I feel really? like because I look so different because the oh, hair, yeah. the makeup. Yeah. So over the top that I'll have to be with a bunch of the girls, and then they'll recognize us as a group. Oh, okay. But just personally, I'm able to kind of sneak in and out of any CVS and movie theater that I want. Well, oh, the CVS and a movie theater—that's good. Well, you got it all figured yeah, out. Yeah, I'm partying over here in LA. I'm really cool. There's My no place question. I go. No doubt about it. It all works out. We uh, will continue to look forward 
to the day when they do pick up Glow for season three. Season two is now on Netflix. It's doing very well from what, what I've heard. It's as big a hit as it was last year, so that's good. Yay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I hope people watch it. I hope they like it. People who are wrestling fans will like it, and people who aren't will also, because it has kind of something for everybody. So, well, it's fun. You better watch it, or I'll body slam you. I like it. Either either you watch it, or Rebecca will put you in a figure four leg lock. <laughs> exactly. I like <laughs> it. You're not going to be able to tap out because we don't have reps. <laughs> Rebecca, thanks so much for your time. Great talking to you about Glow season two. Rebecca Johnson. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. God, it's so funny. She sounds like she's about nine years old. I know. She, I'm going to put you in a I'm gonna body slam you. Yes. Well, you sound like you're 11. I know. She doesn't sound intimidating at all. No. <laughs> what? She, see, I like that because she was very enthusiastic about mm-hmm. the interview. And I, I really do appreciate them when people come on and they just want to, they're happy with their job and they want to talk about their show and get people to watch it i see i like that a lot yeah, i think I've, that's smart i've been meaning to watch it i just i just don't have time so i try and get through one series at a time but it is on my list to watch i have not even watched season one yet Kristen loves it i know it looks fantastic i love wrestling i go to iwi all the time um dave's co-host tim dennis is the manager oh, okay, and yeah. kind of the mc yeah. of the thing so and Ian Xavier runs it. So we have fun. It's just so campy, and it's just a blast just to let loose and watch yeah. old-school wrestling. I mean, I this understand. is where a lot of the big names started. I wish there would be more women in it. Yeah, um, no, I, that would I be. Yeah. I think that might be a pull to get more people involved in the smaller wrestling, I don't know, circuit. But I, I don't know. I just think it's fun. It's just... It always has been yeah. fun. And, you know, they say, oh, is it fake? Is it real? I don't care. No, the 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 drama is scripted, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And some of the way, I mean, it's like a stuntman. I mean, that's what they really are. And they, yes. it's a physical thing, and they do get hurt. I mean, it's not, it's not an easy thing to pull off. And closing this hour, I will say, not this hour, but this segment, uh, The Crusher, AWA. <laughs> he came out one time. Gino, let me tell you something. It was a tough match. I lost a gallon of blood, and I got a thousand stitches in my head. Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you didn't lose a gallon of blood, Crusher, but it all works out. We will be right back. A couple of minutes, Tom Bernard Show. This is Tom, and I want to tell you a story about camping. A guy named Tim, his back pain, and his angry wife. You see, Tim went camping with his family, but he aggravated his recurring back problem a couple of days before when he was golfing with his buddies. His wife had to set up the campsite and do all the heavy lifting, and Tim couldn't do a whole lot with the two kids. Tim was not a happy camper. And neither was his wife. The following Monday, Tim's wife got him an appointment at Hopkins Health and Wellness Center, a DMR method clinic. Their team of physical therapists and chiropractors figured out what was really wrong with his back, quickly got him out of pain, and taught him how to keep it from coming back. And what did Tim say was the biggest benefit of finally handling his back problem? Happy wife, happy life. DMR clinics are a group of physical therapists, chiropractors, and allied medical spine specialists that can help you feel better fast. They have a 96% success rate. It's covered by insurance, and you don't need a referral. They have convenient locations in Hopkins, Woodbury, Rogers, and Blaine. For a free consultation, go to dmrmethod.com. That's dmrmethod.com. 
It's Tom telling you how easy it's been to lose weight at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth with their weight loss plan. I'm down 77 pounds, and in a couple of weeks, I'll do one more round to shed the rest of my unwanted pounds. Find out how to have success losing weight like I did by attending the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth free informational dinner. It's on Monday, July 23rd at 6 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. I'll see you there. That extra baggage melts away really fast, and one of the best parts is it's just so easy. I am never hungry. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has educated me on clean eating, and I now know the foods that work for me and the weight gain trigger foods, too. That's important. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth will guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has helped me change my life, and they can help you, too. Register for the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth dinner on July 23rd. Just call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Do the hammer lock. Do the hammer lock, you turkey neck. Do the hammer lock, you turkey neck. There it is. How could they ever think of all these lyrics? Do the eye gouge. <laughs> I loved it. I remember when I first played that, my kid, uh, I think uh, Jack was probably about seven and Charlie was like five. Yeah. Oh my gosh, they would run around the house just singing that, just calling oh, everybody turkey necks. And <laughs> <laughs> Do the eye gouge. Yeah. I loved it. Loved it. I was talking to my girlfriend, Wanda, and she told me to come home and bring a gallon of beer, at least, and I brought home an entire 10-gallon keg. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. The terms Hollywood and marriage don't always work well together. In fact, when star couples usually get divorced, fans are often not so surprised. These days, there are as many celebrity divorces as there are movies and TV shows. However, things have been different for Tom Selleck. The iconic Magnum P.I. star has recently opened up on his marriage with actress and dancer Jilly Joan Mack, their life far from Hollywood in their California ranch and raising their only daughter together. Uh, I've always liked him a lot, you know. Uh, he has, oh, God, I, I'm not clicking on that. I'll have every, <laughs> why can't you just tell me the story? That'd be good. Just tell me the story, and I could pass it along to people, and everybody be happy. But no, you got to try to get me to click and click and click and click. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing it. It's just not happening. Almost one-third of registered Democratic voters back former Vice President Joe Biden for the party's 2020 presidential nomination, making him the front-runner in a new poll provided exclusively to The Hill. Biden is the clear leader in Harvard, caps Harris's June poll, with support from 32% of Democrats polled. Hillary Clinton, the party's 2016 nominee, finished se- second with 18% of the vote. Is she ever going to go away? Mm-mm. Are the Democrats ever going to learn that woman is poison to you? Mm. What are you doing? Um, while her 2016 primary opponent, Senator Bernie Sanders, sits in third place with 16%, I, I just, I-, I guess I do understand, to tell you the truth, why that far, far left wants to get, people, get rid of people like Crowley because it's the same old people. It's, you know, it's Bernie Sanders and it's Hillary Clinton. I understand why people would probably be attracted to looking at Joe Biden, but, man, he did a lot of damages in his home state. He did, and there's no question about that. 
So, I don't know. He's leading in the polls with 32%. That's not very impressive, Mm-mm. if you ask me. I don't know. We'll, well see. Well, I think they just keep these people around because they have money. I think that's exactly right. They yeah. have money. They've got a lot of money. And that's why they're around still. That's no way to get a good person in office. If that's what you want to do, then you're doing it wrong. I'm just telling you, flat out. Right? Yeah. So, I don't know. Joe Biden, we'd have to see. I know a lot of people do like him. I know a lot of people can't stand him. They're from. He's from Delaware, isn't he? I think he's from Delaware. No, I thought he was from <clears throat> Pennsylvania. Or is it any, where's Joe Biden from, B-I-D-E-N? Um, Scranton, PA. No, he's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. But well, he, he was born there, um, so. He was who born knows, there? Who knows what his real childhood area was, but. I, I know he had I, a connection to Delaware as well. But, uh, uh, he moved there when he was 11. Oh, so he is Delaware. So he's a United States senator from Delaware, right? Well, I mean. He was. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, so, yeah, he did a, a lot of people from Delaware can't stand him because he screwed them over horribly. Um, so I don't know. I just, I guess you don't want to look at people's histories or whatever. Well, all these politicians screw people over, so. I mean, Donald Trump, you don't think that guy's ever screwed anybody out of money? Oh, don't kid yourself. He's been in a ton of really shady deals. Where did his dad get all his money? Uh, real estate development. Oh, yeah, Makes he sense. did real estate development, just like Donald later learned, and I don't know. I have a real hard time backing any one of the national politicians. I just don't like, they're not my kind of people, right? Yeah, I I don't even think they're human anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. I just, I can't, they, they just blatantly lie yes absolutely to get votes well, and blame the morons who keep believing them i, I know that's, true. And that's sad that people are so jaded that they don't see right through them because it's the same promises every election <coughs> cycle and nothing gets done yeah no you're right nothing ever changes we went from having you know the one side in and the other side's in and i don't like any of them Mm-mm. i just as I said, and I wasn't kidding, I went back trying to find a president that I actually really liked. I got to Washington and just stopped. The last president that I think actually seemed somewhat genuine was uh, Ronald Reagan. Um, yeah. I know Reaganomics didn't work the way it was meant to no, work. Right, exactly. And that was because they completely took regulations away, which I th- I, th- I think he really believed that everybody loved America the way he did. And yeah, these, maybe. these corporations were going to reinvest that money into new jobs and stuff. But instead, they took the money and brought it overseas. They didn't yeah, reinvest right. in America. So that's because that was the whole purpose of Reaganomics, <coughs> right. that trickle down deal. But it, yep. you know, but I, I don't know. I really liked him. I, um, I remember being a young kid and every time he talked, I, you know, at, age six, I didn't really understand what he was saying, but I knew he was saying something important. And he was a great, I mean, like Obama, I mean, a lot of people compared Obama to him when he did his speeches. Um, But I think really, he's been like the last true, genuine president we've had. Yeah. So yeah, maybe I I, I do think and he was he preceded uh, Ronald Reagan, I I think that Jimmy Carter actually had 
good intentions. Yes. But he made some really boneheaded moves. I know I'm related to Jimmy Carter. Are you really? <laughs> yeah, he's in our God. family tree. Um, yeah, he wasn't. He just wasn't presidential material. No, I agree. Yeah. Nice guy. Seemed like a really nice yes, guy. Yes, from what I, because, you know, my mom being from North Carolina and that whole area from Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, um, everybody loved him down there. Yeah, everybody. They did. Yeah, they did. Absolutely, yeah. they did. You know, we talked on the show many times, the KQ Morning Show also, about the fact that people under 30, and it's probably more like 35 now, do not watch television. Mm-hmm. They just don't watch television. You know, you'll watch things like Netflix and all that, but I'm talking about broadcast television, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. As the year flies by, the list of canceled TV shows piles up. Networks have been cutting more and more shows since May, including Fox, which cancels the comedies The Mick, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Last Man on Earth. Nine-Nine will continue through NBC, though. I don't know if that's going to do any good. ABC also canceled the previously renewed Roseanne arrival in late May after Roseanne Barr posted a racist tweet about former Obama advisor Valerie Jarrett. However, ABC announced a spinoff called The Connors without Barr coming back this fall. Amazon kicked off the year with a slew of cancellations. Amazon did? Really? That's going to be pretty interesting. So Amazon kicked off the year with a slew of cancellations announcing the end of three quirky comedies, including the Golden Globe nominee I Love Dick, why did you make me say that? <laughs> now you're going to lift it and you're going to play it back con- constantly. <laughs> anyway, moving forward. The comedian Tig Notaro's semi-autobiographical show, One Mississippi, it canceled Globe, uh, Golden Globe nominee Mozart in the Jungle in April after four seasons, recently canceled Transparent, which will end after the upcoming season. The long-running Jerry Springer show has ended after 27 seasons and 4,000 episodes. NBC's Timeless was also canceled for the second year in a row. Well, that's nice when you get canceled two years (laughs) in a row. NBC reversed its first decision to cancel the show last year after fan outcry. However, fans uh, may may have a movie to look forward to, maybe, that gives the series a proper finale. Though no official decision has been made, there are many more cancellations to come as networks announce the fate of newer shows as well as older ones. We'll update uh, this list as... uh, as it goes on, I I don't see how any I don't know I don't know if anything is going to going to work from now on. If nobody's watching television under the age of thirty five, then I suppose some of the the police dramas and the court dramas are going to hang in there because older audiences watch those. CBS's audience uh, demo is really way out of the demo because mm-hmm. TV has fooled itself into this. Eighteen to forty nine demo is key. Well, no, but two-thirds of those people don't even watch TV. Yeah, I don't know why they have the demo so young. I don't either. It doesn't make any sense. It's a different world now. That that young, well, radio still goes 25-54, and actually 35-64 or 35-to-death 35 is a, be- a better demo mm-hmm. because they have all the money. Well, if they want people to watch their shows, like the network uh, TV, like ABC, NBC, and all them, Put it on YouTube. Yeah. And then run the ads with on the YouTube, because that's what they're watching. Yeah, it's very, very true. No question. Andy, if you had $18 million, would you buy a watch? <laughs> An $18 million watch? Yep. Oh, well, then no. Okay. That's too much dollars. Floyd Mayweather Jr. might be the best pound-for-pound boxer <clears throat> on the planet. No, he's not. He fights people when they're not even in their prime anymore. He's a very mediocre boxer. God, I hate that one. Okay. 
pound for pound the best. No, he's not the best boxer on the planet. Well, plus, I'm pretty sure it's all fixed anyway. Well, that's probably true. I tell you what, he's a brilliant promoter. There, you can't take that away from him. He's, he's really good at promoting. Floyd Mayweather Jr. Uh, his in-ring skill set is only outdone by Floyd's own vanity. Yeah, he's quite a vain person. There's, you can't really argue that. Speaking of such, Mayweather just posted a video to his Instagram account showing a watch that he purchased for $18 million for a watch. Yes, that's $18 million, $1 bills for those of you wondering. Good for you, Floyd. Should we be super-duper in- impressed? Mayweather, worth at least $700 million, indicates on his IG post that it's called the Billionaire Watch. Why, well, suppose, of $18,000, billionaires could buy it. 260 carats of diamond. Really? really? That's a lot of diamond. That's a lot of diamonds, there's no doubt about that. Uh, made by Jacob & Company, the watch includes 260 carats of diamonds and is white gold-based. Mm. That's pretty damn vain there, Floyd. I yeah, will tell you that. it sure is. That's very odd, but that's just me. But yeah, this this I guess it must be the press that calls him pound for pound the best boxer on earth because you don't know a damn thing about boxing if you think he's the best boxer on earth. Seriously, all he does is fight people when they're out of their prime, or he fights you know some what's it? Uh, I don't even know what it's called anymore. That Conor McGregor is he? Oh, uh, <clears throat> oh gosh. Why am I drying? What the hell is that called now? I can't read MMA. MMA. MMA, yeah. yeah. Mar- what does it stand for? Martial- Mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts, okay. God, it's very funny because all day in here we've been clearing our throats and coughing and gagging because today kicked off the allergy season. I'm telling you, I went for that bike ride and you guys have been walking around outside. It's very, I mean, it's... I'm definitely going to get, um, I have a spare air filter. I'm going to bring it over yeah it's brutal out because there it's, yeah well in this room even is i don't know something about it really i think this building doesn't change their uh, furnace filter as often as they should oh i didn't know this wendy you like wendy williams yeah i do i do too i really like her uh she has graves disease and oh. i didn't i didn't know that but Television host Wendy Williams opened up about her struggle with Graves' disease, which relapsed last year, and since then has completely changed her life. In a video message at the Graves' Disease and Thyroid Foundation 2018 Patients and Family Conference, Williams said she was diagnosed with both Graves' disease and thyroid disease 19 years ago. Everything was fine. I had the radioactive iodine medication, taking my pill every day, minding my own business, she said, according to Page6.com on Wednesday... Uh, then back in the fall, or maybe around July of last year. Well, July is quite a bit different from the fall. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, I started feeling weird in the head, but I'm thinking, okay, this uh, is maybe a casualty of menopause, or we were ramping up for season nine of the Wendy Show. So, yeah, because she was a radio disc jockey. That's where they found her for the Wendy Williams Show. Uh, it wasn't until I passed out on my own show in October that, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. That, anyway, life has completely changed. Williams said her health condition deteriorated as she was on the wrong dose. She also told the conference her illness has even forced her to give up her stilettos. She can't be on stilettos anymore. Well, I wonder, because you know her her eyes are, she's got big eyes. Yeah, and, she does. But they seem kind of That bulging. is a grave disease thing. Yeah, yeah and I was just looking. Disease. Oh, because, yeah, it says abnormal protrusion of eyes or puffy eyes. 100%. True. Exophthalmus. 
We shall take a break here. Come back and our special guest, Daniel Baxter. Just called Baxter. in, in fact. Oh, good. Daniel Baxter. We will be right back in a couple of minutes, Tom Bernard Show. Thank you. We are here with Chris Lindahl. What's the latest? Chris Lindahl Real Estate, the real estate brokerage, is finally here. We've declared our innovation independence. Your innovation independence? <laughs> you're, you're dressed independently today, I will tell you that. That's you look good, man. You look great. <laughs> Thank you. And we also have something super exciting for KQ listeners. We are going to give away a free listing side commission now through June 29th. How does that work? So, so we're going to sell someone's house for free. What? Yeah. That's yep. pretty good. Yeah, and it's just a way of saying thank you. And KQRS has been amazingly supportive to the Chris Lindahl brand and now to Chris Lindahl Real Estate. It's a way for us to say thank you. It's also not a bare bones offer. So everything that Chris Lindahl does to get you top dollar for your house, we're still going to do. And we're going to do it potentially for free for one listener. Now, how do people get that done? How, how, how do they qualify for the – was it a drawing or what is it? it yep. So it's, so it's a drawing. So you can go to chrislindahl.com. That's Chris with a K. And you can click on the free listing side commission giveaway tab to sign up. Or you can call 763-401-SOLD. That is a wonderful thing. And when, uh, when do they need to do this buy? So the deadline is June 29th. June 29th. And how do they do it? They go to chrislindahl.com. That's Chris with a K or call 763-401-SOLD. And I just want to say thank you so much for all of the support during our transition. We're super excited and we're bringing innovation to another level. It is a wonderful thing. Chris Lindahl. Thank you. You're a good man. Let's talk about good things. Does your car work? You got a roof over your head? You got kids, parents, a spouse who loves you, or a mate? These are the good things you have because you live in America, the country that has more immigration than any other nation on earth. You have these things because the U.S. military stands at a wall and protects you from any person or thing that would take them away from you. The entire volunteer military that stands at the ready just in case. The greatest fighting force ever known on planet earth. Every person serving in our military is ready to lay down their life for your freedom. And all too often, they do. I'm the executive director of the Gold Star Ride Foundation, an organization set up to do just one thing. Take care of families left behind when one of our brave fighters loses their life for you. We're riding motorcycles throughout the country to achieve this purpose, and you can help. Go to goldstarride.org and make a donation or learn where we are so you can come and ride with us. It's a small thing we do. It was a huge thing that they did. Goldstarride.org. That's goldstarride.org. Make a donation today. Ooh, I love this song. Do, 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 do. It was the 3rd of September. Great song. Ladies and gentlemen, our very special guest, Daniel Baxter. The book is called One Life at a Time, an American Doctor's Memoir of AIDS in Botswana. Meet the man who bravely faced Botswana's AIDS crisis head-on. Daniel Baxter, how are you, sir? Fine, thank you. I'm glad to hear it. I do remember... Um, I, had, I the, the the first rumblings in the late seventies that had to be among, in the medical community, wasn't it? Because I hadn't heard much about it in the late seventies. Exactly, and it was really in the early eighties where yeah. um, the medical articles really started to pour for, pour forth about this uh, previously unknown infection. And what was scary about it is, at first they thought. Uh, they kind of thought for a while there, and by they, I mean some outspoken people in, in the uh, medical community, thought we were all eventually going to contract it. And it was, boy, it was a doomsday call. I remember that. Absolutely. It was, it was pretty scary. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. I mean, and it's because we really didn't know very much about the nature of HIV, how it was transmitted, uh, what the risks uh, for getting HIV were. 
And so um, as we got more and more knowledge and as treatments came on the scene, then the fear and stigma uh, decreased significantly. Daniel, I have a personal story that I want to pass along to you because it's uh, – I have had a very, very close friend. Uh, he's in the, in the radio business, and uh, I've been in it my whole life, as a matter of fact. And I got a call from him one day, and he said, uh, <clears throat> I got some bad news. And I said, what's that? And he goes – I have AIDS. And he st- and I said, what's that? Because it was very on, it was the latest, it was in the mid-80s. And it really broke wide in America. The news of AIDS was, what, 1986 or 87, something like that? Exactly, yeah. Right. Okay, so the, this is in 86, maybe 87. Uh, my, yeah, I think it was 86, actually. And I said, what's AIDS? And he told me what it was and all the rest of it. I said, well, so how are they, they going to fix that? And he goes, apparently it, it, they can't. They can't cure it. They can't do anything about it. So he began to lose a lot of weight, and he was you know, being treated constantly, all the rest of it. And then I remember toward the end of his life, I got a call from his mother. And, he, and she said, Tom, would you come over? Um, we're having a problem. I said, sure, absolutely. So I got there. I said, what's the problem? She said, uh, we want to bathe Don but we're, he's too heavy for us because he was a big athletic guy, real handsome guy, big and athletic, but he had lost tons of weight by then. Mm-hmm. And she said, my daughter and I would like to bathe him, but we can't turn him over and no one else will touch him. And I'll never forget that line from her. Nobody else would come over and touch my friend uh, because they thought at that time the word was that it, we were all going to get it. So, But I, I was like, eh, you know, I don't think I really believe that we're just by by putting on gloves and turning your friend over so he could be bathed was going to get me AIDS. I just never, I never believed that for one minute. And it was a very touching moment. And, uh, several of my friends actually, uh, because I've, I've had agents and I've been in radio and voiceover for my whole life, the record business. Mm-hmm. So I've known several people that have died, died of AIDS. And it's, it's amazing what the, you people like you and the medical community have done with that disease. Cause it was, really scary for quite some time there right and i mean you obviously were a very good and kind friend and um it as i said has taken many years for the fear to eventually evaporate there's still a lot of stigma guilt and shame and Mm -hmm. i found it when i arrived in botswana but one of the lessons that i've learned is we're really all HIV positive in this weary journey known as life. Namely, regardless of whether our HIV test comes back positive or negative, we're all on the slippery sliding slope to the grave. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that if we have that idea that HIV, yes, it's an infection, it previously was fatal, but now is treatable on a long-term basis, I think it would really reduce a lot of the fear and stigma. I don't think there's any question. People like you made huge strides because uh, for the longest time, they didn't think there was ever going to be, a, um, I guess, just a reaction to AIDS where, where you could keep people alive, you could treat people and keep them alive for the full term. I, I don't think early on they ever thought that was going to happen, but a lot of great work. And... Uh, it's not a cure for AIDS. It's just a treatable form of, mm-hmm. uh, of the disease, right? 
Exactly. And um, by and large, life expectancy is uh, essentially the same once you get on treatment. The, the goal is to get on treatment as soon as you're infected yeah. or as early as possible. But, um, you know, I appreciate your kind words about doctors like myself, but I really felt that, especially based on my eight and a half years in Botswana, that I really took away far more in terms of sure. learning about myself and life than I was able to give my patients, even though I was able to treat them. I do want to hear about 2002. All of a sudden, what is the phone ring or was it by mail? You got a job offer in 2002. Yeah, uh, the irony uh, is that I got this email and I almost deleted it thinking that it was Whoops. just spam or trash or whatever. Right. And it was uh, someone from the University of Pennsylvania where I went to medical school. And they, had a, they were working with um, the government of Botswana and the Bill Gates uh, Foundation. Uh, and they wanted to know if I was interested. And um, I had always wanted to do this. And as I write in my book, I, I pretended as if I knew where Botswana was, but then I quickly <laughs> yeah. looked it up on the Internet right. afterwards. Absolutely. So, so who was it that offered you the job? Well, it was the University of Pennsylvania. Oh, it was I flat basically, out. In the, the infectious disease department, the head of the infectious disease department, but essentially, I was uh, working with uh, the Gates Foundation and the Merck Foundation that um, offered help to Botswana in, uh, you know, around 2000, 2001. And the government was courageous enough to accept the help. Now, from what I understand, I'm not specifically Botswana, but uh, there, there were stories that came out about Africa and the way they looked at AIDS. Is it true that Jonas Salk used green monkeys and some of his research, and that's where it came from? Is that true? No, no. HIV originated so. in the forests of West Africa, mm-hmm. and it was originally in chimpanzees. And a hundred or so years ago, it jumped from chimpanzees to man. Basically, uh, when they were processing, butchering uh, bush meat, namely chimpanzees, oh, yeah, and yeah. it stayed in that area for many, many decades because there was no transportation and such. And then it eventually spread to the major cities in Africa as you know, highways and truck routes were, um, uh, were established. And then from Africa, it uh, invaded North America by way of Haiti. So there, and I, from what I understand, there was also no patient zero, a, a flight attendant in Canada. There was that story. They even the, named the yeah, man. That, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, that was part of the mythology right. of uh, HIV. Um, and the, the way we think that it origi- not originated, but it was transmitted through Haiti, was in the 1950s, many Haitians went to work in Congo uh, mm-hmm. as teachers, doctors, administrators to help the new government there after they gained independence. And in the 50s and 60s, uh, they acquired it, and then they went back to their home. And then from Haiti, it very quickly spread to North America. Yeah, mostly, I think, Belle Glade, Florida, at one time, had the highest population of AIDS-infected uh, people in the world. Yeah, I mean, I can believe that. And yeah. Then it spread to the major cities. Absolutely. So you get to, so you get on an airplane, you're going to Botswana. Had, had you ever been in Africa before? Actually, I had. I had interviewed for a job in Uganda and Kampala. And then even before that, in 1992, I attended the... Um, 
7th uh, International AIDS in Africa conference in Cameroon. And that was an experience. I recount that in my book. But Botswana was the first time that I really uh, spent any long period of time. And what did you find when you got there? Well, I found a country where the most thriving business was the funeral parlors. Uh, Before AIDS, um, funerals would just occur on weekends. Uh, But after AIDS really hit the country and 24% of the population was infected, uh, you'd have funeral um, processions, you know, constantly weaving in and out of uh, the capital. And I found that there was a lot of fear, especially among people in the village, minimum wage laborers. And there was this mysterious illness that was, you know, striking people down seemingly randomly. And um, it was uh, it was very fearsome. It was, in a way, a replay of the dark valley that the gay community in the 1980s and early 1990s went through. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was a replay of the terror and fear and above all the guilt and shame associated with it. But that changed over the years. I could see, yeah, absolutely the truth in that statement. I, um, you know, in a way, I'm really happy. Uh, I was uh, uh, about 35 years old when the AIDS epidemic in, in the United States began to take off. So I was kind of, a, in a way, a perfect age to watch this whole thing happen. And mm-hmm. people crying, oh, my God, it was... A, well, that's, I remember at first people thought they they actually called it the gay plague. I remember that. Mm-hmm. I absolutely mm-hmm. remember that. Grids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so why did they think that, that only gay people were going to get it? Well, because, I mean, they were, were heavily hit with it, yeah, but other yeah. populations that were uh, also affected, even more so, such as uh, intravenous drug users, oh, yeah. uh, really didn't have the, um, the, the, the way of publicizing it. They were, by and large, underground. And I remember in the um, uh, mid mm-hmm. uh, to late 1990s, the, the press was heralding the new face of AIDS. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. some, a minority, someone from a, a minority population, a woman, uh, IV drug user. And um, the irony is the real new face of AIDS was in sub-Saharan Africa that had right. much higher uh, penetration of the virus. So did you, did you find your job to be uh, a little bit taxing there for the first several years, I would imagine? Well, for the I went there with all sorts of arrogance and hubris that I was going to, <laughs> yeah. to save people. And soon after I arrived, um, I had two patient catastrophes, which I discuss in the book. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, you know, hitting up against the rock face of AIDS in Africa, I didn't have the answers. I didn't even know the questions to ask. But the Botswana are kind and forgiving people. And Africa really gives you time and space to soldier on. And so in the ensuing years, uh, I was able to, to better understand myself and better understand my patients. Now, Botswanans are people who live in Botswana, right? Yeah, Botswana, yeah. Oh, Botswana, yeah. And, um, you know, the, the spirituality of the Botswana was astonishing. I mean, legion are the times that a patient would recount to me her unfathomable woes but then almost always she would end by saying but god is good 
I mean, oh, how yeah. do you respond to something like that? <laughs> yeah, I that's mean, very the, true. The hope, the optimism. It's true. Uh, Daniel Baxter, our special guest, do you, I, I was trying to do a good job dancing around what's actually in the book because reading the book is much more important than hearing me talk to uh, you, Mr. Baxter, about this and Dr. Baxter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just want people to read the book. It's very, very interesting. And I do want to make very clear that it wasn't a brave thing I did for my friend. I never, ever even considered that I would contract AIDS by helping him. So it wasn't bravery. Maybe it was stupidity, but it wasn't bravery. I will tell you that. No, well, well, you were a good friend regardless. Yeah, that's all. That's all I wanted to be is a good friend. One Life yeah. at a Time, an American Doctor's Memoir of AIDS in Botswana, Dr. Daniel Baxter. You're a good man. I could just tell by talking. You're a very nice person. We appreciate it. Thank you. You're, you're very kind, and thank you for your interest. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, sir. Dr. Daniel Baxter, you, special guest. Thanks. Yeah, that, uh, you guys are too young to remember that. Well, Andy, you were born that year. Yep. When AIDS broke huge in America. It was like 1986. <clears throat> but honest to God, they thought we were all going to get it, and we were all going to die, and the, pop- the human population of the world was going to disappear. Yeah, I remember watching the news, and it was just constant AIDS, AIDS, mm-hmm. AIDS, and how it was yeah. just... You know, luckily, I mean, granted, they by accidental, they figured out what it was because people couldn't figure out. That's right. Because originally it was the gay plague. That's what they they called it. And then they started realizing that people were getting it that weren't gay Mm -hmm. and that it was a it was something in the blood. So that's how it was getting transmitted. And obviously now it's considered an STD. The name that I will never forget is Ryan White. He was a little boy who was a hemophiliac. Mm -hmm. And because he needed blood transfusion. Yeah, and got transfusion, and it killed him. It's very, very sad. Hello, show today. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Tom Bernard Show.